This episode of Unfriend Me is brought to you by you at patreon.com slash unfriend me. That's patreon.com slash unfriend me. Oh, yeah? Well, American exceptionalism is a sham used to sell flags, hot dogs, and WrestleMania tickets. Oh, yeah? I think the Founding Fathers used to hang out with Jesus, and he told them that this was the promised land. Oh, yeah? Well, if you believe in American exceptionalism, then unfriend me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Unfriend Me with Scott Johnson and Justin Robert Young and this terrible gif I'm now hiding. Uh, welcome to episode... I don't know what it is. <laughs> what episode is this? I don't know the number. We're doing good, though. It's uh, March 13th, 2018, and we're here doing it yet again, uh, bringing to you... I think that word you were trying to poop out was exceptionalism, but I think it came out American a little weird. American exceptionalism. That was just that was a loose one, man. Every once in a while, we have, we have jazz-like precision, and then every once in a while, we just... We just like to get a little saucy, and that was. That and we're was that too lazy to do it over again. So enjoy what you got there. Uh, but uh, we're happy to be back uh, after a, a crazy week talking about all sorts of weird stuff, including uh, tips and and wages and all of that. A uh, incredible amount of feedback came from that. But yep. Justin, today it's broke all about our, broke our record again. Uh, that uh, college was. The number one, and then tipping uh, uh, tipped it over. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so thank you to everybody. We have an amazing community, and we are going to be taking those emails and making bonus episodes that you can access when you are a patron at Patreon.com/slash/unfriendme. So, are you surprised that the that the the feedback for tips was bigger? It was the record breaker. I'm a little surprised. Um, I'm a little surprised, but I also think that what we found out with tipping is it does affect so many other gigantic hot button issues. Uh, it's something that happens a lot. It's something that, uh, it, you know, touches on uh, uh, class and and uh, how we look at wealth distribution. And uh, uh, as the feedback kind of came in, even after the episode, I saw a lot of people say, hey, look, like in any economic situation, you are going to have those that are at the bottom affected disproportionately. And and uh, that, I think, is another reason why a lot of people wrote in. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'm excited about this. Let's look at the feedback for the week. You want to start with uh, Kevin here? Kevin! Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Uh, wanted to lend my perspective as not only a server previously from Washington State where they tipped uh, and paid minimum wage, but also a first-time restaurant owner uh, that uh, where I opened a little place in Ocala, Florida, where wages are only $2.65 or thereabouts for a tipped employee. Where I have to pay the higher wage that I paid in Washington, I likely wouldn't have been able to open up shop or would have had to hire far fewer employees. I like tipping. Nay, I love it. Tipping encourages smart people to offer excellent service. It's not a perfect world, but it's not the worst either. I do think corporate service industries should pay their employees better. They make our food and belittling employees with shit wages is how you get outbreaks of salmonella. Oh, I didn't realize there was going to be a connection with food-borne illness there. I like that. Uh, I don't know why I like that. I don't like that at all, actually. Although uh, I don't, I don't know how the server. I mean, I guess the server can look at something and say, like, "Yo, that's undercooked. Throw that back." There. Yeah. I mean, I told you about my times at Chi-Chi's where, in fact, maybe I didn't tell this story, and I don't know why I didn't. But somebody, I worked in the kitchen on the on the line. I was a line cook at a Chi-Chi's in high school, and somebody brought back a steak because it was underdone. And I watched the steak guy uh, wait for the server to to leave after he brought the plate back, took that steak, threw it on the floor, mushed it with his foot, put it on the grill, cooked all the oh. grime from the floor into it real good, sent it back out on the plate. Uh, customer seemed happy and left a tip. So even then, uh, you, you get sometimes stuff you didn't know happened. And think of that next I time. Some of, some of my favorite people in the world are cooks. Yeah. I will say this. There is a fine line between a construction worker and a cook. Like they are by and large a lot of this. And I am not disparaging either. No, no. I am no. saying that there are unique personalities that I happen to find uh, uh, bedfellows in. Yeah. By the way, don't send your meat back in a restaurant. That's just a word of advice. I've seen what can happen. You don't want what's on the other. Well, and also just, yeah, in, in, in general, uh, you know, you don't. 
Make, make it very gentle. Yeah, there you just go. Make, you it, make, make, make sure that, that the, the server is coming back to the kitchen as an emissary of your food. Right. Uh, be their friend, not their enemy. Marlon wrote in and said, two servers doing the exact same job, taking the exact same time for two different tables. Why should one get tipped less because their table decided to go for the burger and the fries instead of the filet mignon? That bill was less, so the tip is going to be less, he asks, in, in a credulous tone. I don't know. That's well, a fair point. Because it, is it though? I mean, it, look, well, what uh, he's saying is, what he's saying is, he would like a, some sort of forced fairness. I'm not; these aren't his exact words, but it seems like what he's hoping for is a forced fairness between the two nearly exact scenarios that involve the exact kind of work from the server. But one's going to have a lesser tip than the other, and there's really not a whole lot they can do about it. But it is that gamble that the previous writer called not a perfect system, and I would agree. I still think it's. I still would prefer a tip system rather than everybody's equal because uh then i don't know i, I guess what i'm saying is that here, 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 here's here's where i here's where i get into the thing where i don't know how many people who have these kinds of arguments know what a server does and know knows what separates an excellent server from a not so excellent server right. and part of it is upselling for for you know it's a sales job in a lot of different ways you're pushing the filet mignon you're pushing the specials you're pushing that, that you can get a bottle of wine down on the table. You're, you're trying to sell the best of that restaurant because at the end of the day, it affects you. Now, you're not rude about it. You're not pushy. But the art of it is making sure that if somebody is going to indulge themselves, you are giving them every reason to do that because it is in your economic benefit to do so. So, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, you're going to make less if somebody has the burger and somebody else has the filet mignon. But I don't think that it's necessarily... Uh, that that it's like oh well that that's it people random these random number generators come in here and they randomly order random different things and that's what you get a good server has a say in that yeah in my opinion. and the only thing I would say in Marlon's side of the court would be this if my brother and his family come in and get the same expensive filet mignon and the other table does the same I guarantee you the other table tipped better than my brother did so so all right. I send all your hate mail to Scott's brother. <laughs> He's so cheap, dude. He's the cheapest person I know. All right, anyway, go on. Uh, and, and for shame to him, Matthew wrote, Justin, I wouldn't trust any managers of the pizza places I worked at for either, both because most uh, of them do not have the best ethics and because they are not paid well. I worked for about four and a half years uh, as a manager of a pizza franchise. I made less as a manager than I would have made as a driver. That's, I mean, listen. If we have any young listeners here who are servers and somebody comes up to you and says, you want to know what? You're really great. We think you're fantastic. We would like you to become a manager. Politely decline. <laughs> Unless you want to run a restaurant. If you want to run a restaurant, then you need to be a manager so you can understand the back of the house stuff. If you just are there so you could make money and, and do something else in your life, never take the manager job. 100% agree. Trap. Yeah, it's totally a trap. Don't do it. Uh, Caleb wrote in finally. This is our last one. Says, it's ridiculous that tipping is required every time you sit down at a restaurant. I would interrupt, uh, interject here and just say it's not at every restaurant. There are plenty of place, places that aren't uh, tip, tip restaurants. So I don't think it's fair to blanket everybody. But anyway, you're telling me I have to pay someone because they did their job correctly? I work in the medical field delivering and setting up things like oxygen, hospital beds, wheelchairs, walkers, and every other piece of medical equipment. I make a flat fourteen forty-two an hour. And I work on call every four weeks for an entire week going out after a full day's work to respond to emergencies people have with their oxygen. Does me having a flat rate make me do my job any less because I don't receive tips? No. I go above and beyond and put a smile on my face. Uh, yeah, but also think about, I don't want to get into the economics of how much money somebody's making off of hospital beds, oxygen, wheelchairs, walkers, and the insurance billing thereof. We won't get into that because that's a whole other bag of chips sitting on yeah. another shelf. Uh, but what do you say to that? Here's a case where the guy's just working it and doing like real work for people, keeping them alive in a lot of ways, and he's not expecting any kind of, you know, gratuity. I mean, cool, man. You make $14 an hour. <laughs> they make two in Florida. The one thing I did want to point out, though, that I didn't mention during the show last week is that in Florida, if you wound up with tips making less than minimum wage, you could go to the state and get reimbursed for the difference. Right. So it wasn't you were no one ever did it because you would make more than minimum wage in tips. Uh, but but you could 
if if for whatever reason you did not. So when people look at service wage, they oftentimes don't understand that that you know you the, the government just doesn't say tough luck, bozo. If if for whatever reason the ship doesn't come in, it uh, is state by state though. There's no federal protections there. A state there are other states that do that also, and I actually kind of like it. It's a it's a way. I I feel like it's a way for somebody to go into a job feeling like, well, worst case, I'm covered at a minimum yeah. wage level, but otherwise, and then they they all find out that they're going to get more tips and exceed that amount of money anyway. So it's fine. Uh, uh absolutely. And, and and to Caleb, Mazel Tov to you, man. You make fourteen forty two an hour, and and uh, you have a a job with tremendous security, right? Yeah. Uh, a, a medical technician like yourself. Uh, people are always going to be sick. They're always going to be dying. They're always going to need your help. Yeah. Uh, a restaurant does not have that. It can close at any moment. It's a very volatile industry. And uh, please tip. I swear to God, if, if, if this is your reason why you you go, go on your Steve Buscemi in Reservoir Dogs rant about why you don't tip, then then please, please uh, think about it. Be the guy that tips. By the way, I don't know if you intended this to be on purpose or not, but he says he makes fourteen forty two an hour. That was also the year Christopher Columbus discovered what he thought was India, turned out to be America. No, it's not. Isn't it? Wasn't it 1442? It was it 1642? 1492. <laughs> no, 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 wait. What was the name of the movie that What's-His-Name made, that uh, Ridley Scott made? Isn't it 1492? Oh, I thought it was 1442. Shit. All right, well, never mind. It's still a pretty good transition. <laughs> In the year so anyway, 14... 50, 50 years before that... <laughs> <laughs> somebody i need everybody to photoshop 1442 posters so uh and send them to scott on twitter at scott johnson yeah not a great movie either <laughs> not the best ridley scott movie all right well i never i never i never actually saw that i remember i remember the 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 trailer was him in slow motion yeah a lot of like, gerard depardieu in slow motion that is correct it's um the movie's like that too it's fine i mean he had a period there where he would do that and then he turned around and did legend and I don't know. It wasn't like Ridley Scott best times ever. I and mean, we're not really having those now even as much on and off. But the point is, you probably skip <laughs> the point it. Is, welcome to unfriend me, Ridley Scott. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's dive into this. This idea of American exceptionalism. Sure. Was... And, and by the way, before we move into it, of course, you can email us unfriend me show at gmail.com. Again, unfriend me show at gmail.com. And we will take your calls on this topic when we get to the end of our research. The topic, of course, being American exceptionalism. Scott, let me give you a little, little, little primer here on the term. Please do. American, American exceptionalism is an ideology holding that the United States is unique among other nations in positive and negative connotations in respect to its ideas on democracy and personal freedom. Though the concept has no formal definition, there are some themes uh, common to various conceptions. One is that the history of the United States is different from that of other nations. In this view, American exceptionalism stems from the American Revolution, becoming what political scientist Seymour Martin Lipset called, quote, the first new nation, developing an American ideology of Americanism based on Liberty, egalitarianism, individualism, republicanism, democracy, and laissez-faire economics. Mm, open markets. Uh, yeah, all that stuff. Uh, uh, that's now, interesting. Now, can I just say one quick thing? As, as described there, uh, I feel like that was part of my education growing up. But I will tell you what, man. I had it pounded into me when I was very young that we lived in the country that was exceptional. And I use that word not just ironically with today's title of the show. Like we lived in the place where uh, it was like our destiny to be here and that this was all no mistake that uh, that we were better than all the rest uh, because of A, B, C through Z. And I feel like my primary and junior high and high school education was riddled with this sort of thinking. Uh, so what you've just described there is I feel is much more academic than I got. I got a very demagoguery laden version of your more simple description of where this comes from well let's kind of get into a little bit of the origins of the specific phrase american exceptionalism although i want please put a pin in in how you were raised All because right. i think that there are a few elements there that i would like to explore more right number one some claim that the phrase american exceptionalism or, uh, originated 
with the American Communist Party in an English translation of a condemnation made in 1929 by Soviet leader Joseph Stalin, criticizing communist supporters of Jay Lovestone uh, for the heretical belief that the U.S. was independent of the Marxist laws of history. Quote, thanks to the natural resources, industrial capacity, and absence of rigid class distinctions, end quote. This origin had been challenged, however, uh, because the expression American exceptionalism was already used in the Broder and Zach in the Daily Worker on the 29th of January, 1929. So apparently it, it, orig it originates in as communism rises in the early 20th century. Right. As a negative connotation. Right? As a negative. That America thinks that America's beyond this, but America's not. There is no American exceptionalism to the natural Marxist laws that you know labor should rise up over capital and it wouldn't and be it wouldn't be honestly any different than hearing somebody in a position of power in any other country let's say germany or russia or anywhere else whether they're foes or not saying the words uh somebody said sweden uh sweden has uh there is such a thing as sweden exceptionalism we are above something else that everybody else isn't above like anybody says that it sounds negative we say it and somehow we build a fire in, in Kumbaya. It's crazy. It's weird to me. Anyway, now, we, yeah. we've got some philosophical underpinnings here from uh, Alexis de Tocqueville and uh, Thomas Paine. However, I want to get into this because you mentioned this and I don't want to wait any longer because I'll forget about it. The frontier spirit, <laughs> the idea that we are special because we settled a tremendous amount of land. You are talking to me from Utah, I am talking to you from the Bay of California, the literal one of the shining seas for which would connect to another site, shining sea. Yeah. Proponents of American exceptionalism often claim that many features of the American spirit were shaped by the frontier process uh, following Frederick Jackson's Turner Frontier thesis. They argue that American the American frontier allowed individualism to flourish as pioneers accepted democracy and equality and shed centuries-old European institutions such as royalty, standing armies, established churches, and landed aristocracy that owned most of the land. Now, let's delve specifically into what you just mentioned. Okay. Because you are in Utah, yeah. one of the frontier states, Yep. and we can get into it as much as you want to get into it. There is certainly a religious element to you know, the, you know, not only the state of Utah, but also the uh, Mormon faith that America is not, I mean, you said not by accident, like by divine providence, yeah. America is there, here. There, right? you, there you go. I think that's a fair assessment. So here, here's, here's the general theology of it. Yeah. Uh, there is a firm belief system within the LDS faith that uh, the founding fathers were not figuratively, not accidentally, or not any other sort of uh, way of putting it, that they were literally inspired by on high, for lack of a better term, to construct the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all the things that, that, that make the underpinnings, Bill of Rights, all the, all the underpinnings of the nation's birth um, and its righteous fight against the, the British and its... Uh, you know, other stuff. Uh, all of that is by divine inspiration. Is that that is a that yeah. is a generally held belief? Now, how far some may hold it than others, I don't know. I don't, I can't speak to individuals, but that's generally speaking a thing. So you hear it, you'll hear it said sometimes in church meetings or something. Uh, the you know, thank goodness the founding fathers were inspired to create such a such a, a lasting. Uh, thing so that we could all be free here, and it's all—it's always about freedom and and uh, agency, and we wouldn't have that without yeah. these great underpinnings and the structure. And it's all very patriotic. It's very pro, pro U.S., pro founding fathers. Nobody ever re reminds anyone that well, some of those guys were having sex with their slaves. Oh, and by the way, slavery—you know, like well, all those things come up, but sure, but people aren't talking about those things. They usually focus on sort but, of but, the, but but even but even then. You know, that almost plays into the narrative more, right? Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't, you know, a human sin, right. but it was the divine spark that lived on, and it is the divine spark for which guides the, us. The, the, and, the and literal, the literal, what I should get to here, and this is, I think, is an important factor of this. Uh, Mormonism is one of those religions, now a worldwide religion, but it's a religion that's 
I think is one of the only ones you could say is pretty mainstream, but started here. Like, yes, this is a U.S. born thing. And there's all kinds of stuff we could get into. But one of those things is this feeling that it came in stages, that there's this apostasy after Christ is killed. And there's like a long sort of dark period, the, the Middle Ages and all of this. And to bring it back, you have inspired founding of a nation that supposedly fulfills scriptural prophecy. Later on, somebody is chosen to sort of pick up the mantle and move forward. They are uh, fought and hated and are forced to move west. They move to uh, what they called Zion, but eventually became the Salt Lake Valley. Seems really pedestrian now to see even say it that way. It's like, well, we have malls. I got a mall. Yeah. You guys want to go Starbucks? Like it's like, it's dumb. But but anyway, exactly. you get you get to this this idea that there was this place that was untouched, and that's pretty much true. Um there were there were you know Native Americans uh around, but they for the most part, Mormons got along with them. There are a couple of cases where that's not true. But anyway, the point is they come out here and again it's this pioneering forward thinking like the Lord is at our backs, brethren. Get hot, yeah. get on your oxen and move west. And they would go and people would die and babies would die and people would freeze and they'd have funerals in the middle of a river and they have all yeah. these awful experiences. All, 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 all the stuff that happened in the Oregon Trail. Yeah, all of the things that are just like the refiner's yeah. fire, they call it. And so that when you get out here, boy, you just fulfilled yet another prophecy. Uh, so that's the way it worked in the 1800s. And, and that's basically the basis of it. So there is a very strong, certainly within the faithful, there is a the strong belief system that that stuff's all was, is, and will be sort of inspired, not fateful so much as it is, you know, this, this, this was all prepared so that we could come and make it the, make it better or whatever. And if it hadn't been for that, we'd have been, you know, yoked uh in in britain forever and nobody could yeah. ever have done anything like it's just like there that and, there's and, and it's that, a that of course is tied to the idea of of the puritans you know uh, of you know making a compact with god uh, escaping religious persecution and saying that we will be indeed the shining city on the hill here in america there you and, go and, that, and what we are going to do. not only that here's a fun thing that connects you and i well at least now because you live there used to be in florida but pioneers didn't just stop here they yeah. stay, came, set up camp, bunch more moved on. They founded the city of Las Vegas, which is crazy. Yep. Uh, they That didn't last long. And then <laughs> they kept going and founded the, the city of San Francisco, the city by the bay, which yep. also didn't last long. But point is, you know, actual structural, uh, meaningful thing uh, things happen in this country because of that particular movement. All of it, not all of it, a lot of it based on this very thing we're talking about. This little concept known as exceptionalism as it applies to this country, this nation, and those who would ascribe their, uh, you know, that would also mix in their religious understanding of how nations are founded yeah. and how men behave. So it's super it's super interesting, actually. The whole history of it, it's easy to oh, look yeah. at it and just go, oh, how weird. But if you actually go and, like, dig in, it's fascinating. Some of this well, and this is something that I think has a lot of variables and a lot of different fronts where people can buy into it on different levels. And, and just to put a, a, a pin or put a cap on, on that conversation, of course, the refiner's fire leads to the ultimate uh, uh, gift uh, of, of the Mormon church to America. Steve Young, who also goes to San Francisco and wins three Super Bowls. So, <laughs> right. That was the end game, by the way. I just want to make that this was clear. it. That was the pro it. The <laughs> prophecy was the great falling away, the great resurgence, <laughs> the movement west, and then the final stage. Steve Young wins three Super Bowls. Steve Young wins three Super Bowls for the 49ers. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> the other side of this is that uh, although you do uh, have this undeniable religious fervor to it, there, the, the Constitution as a living document and a Bill of Rights is something that is specifically at the point that it was created unique and remains unique and, and remains something that new nations or reorganizing nations throughout the world do look at as a model of what they would like to do. Mm -hmm. The growth of, 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 of America is something that is remarkable to go from what it was to what it is in the short amount of time that it has done so is something that is to be understood as very, very, very unique. Thomas Paine wrote uh, uh, that in Thomas Paine's Common Sense, for the first time expressed the belief that America was not just an extension of Europe, 
but a new land, a country with nearly unlimited potential and the opportunity that had outgrown, uh, outgrown the British mother country. These sentiments laid the intellectual foundations for the revolutionary concept of American exceptionalism uh, and were closely tied to republicanism, the belief that sovereignty belonged to the people and not to the hereditary ruling class. And, and that's something where, look, these ideas were, were born out of the enlightenment of Europe, uh, but the, the sense that they took root here and they became ingrained law in America in a way that had not yet happened is something that kind of is exceptional, mm -hmm. right? Well, historically, it is exceptional if you're looking at it from that definition. The, the question is, was, I mean, for me, this has always been like, yeah, kind of perfect storm. It all worked out in a way that created a very exceptional situation, like a thing that happened that hadn't happened in other human history. Despite the fact we're still a very young country, uh, the rise to power by the United States, and it's despite all of its up and downs, it's a very unique thing. But on the other hand, and I and and you can for every positive thing you can say about a a, a movement like this, there's a there's ten things you could say negatively about it. Well, what about Native Americans? We came in here and just ripped them all to shreds and said, "Well, here you go. Here's some land. We can go stay there. Basically, here's some land prisons for you." Uh, and we'll call them reservations. Good luck. Have fun. And, and maybe the casinos will help. Like, like that's a pretty shitty thing that is not very exceptional for them. But in a historic sense, it's all exceptional. Like, it's all weird. Well, it's all different. It's all new compared let, to let, a world let's, history. Let, let's read about a bit of a skeptical point of view from uh, de Tocqueville, who wrote, The position that Americans uh, is therefore quite exceptional. It may be believed that no Democratic people will ever be placed in a similar one. Their strictly puritanical origin, their exclusively commercial habits, even the country they inhabit, which seems to divert their minds from the pursuit of science, literature, and the arts, the proximity of Europe, which allows them to neglect these pursuits without relapsing into barbarism, a thousand special causes of which I have only been able to point out the most important, have singularly concurred to fix the mind of the American upon purely practical objects. Jesus, did they invent the run-on sentence I after love this, it. dude? I love it, oh dude. Oh, my God. To talk, Phil. Uh, periods. They're your friend. Anyway, <laughs> his passions, his wants, his education, and everything about him seem to unite in the drawing of the native to the United States earthward. His religion alone bids him turn from time to time a transient and distracted glance to heaven. Let us cease, then, to view all democratic nations under the example of the American people. Wow. That is some talk, man. That is, a that is some talk. Now, you are absolutely right that this is a movement for which has been co-opted not only politically but culturally. It is indeed at the root of what I believe the rest of the world would describe. We're even having some international uh, uh, listeners and viewers here in the chat room saying, I don't get this. Is this because I'm not from America? Well, you probably will get this version of it. America, USA, 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 which the idea of the arrogant American, the American that only cares about America, that does not have the same kind of intellectual point of view that many other nations and cultures have, that is also born out of this. And, and the idea that American exceptionalism breeds American arrogance is without a doubt bound together. And that's something that I think we really want to talk about is are they the same thing? Does one go left and the other go right? And I don't mean politically, but just to, to say that are they separate? I want to get everybody's opinion. I really don't even have much more research here because at the end of the day, it's I found when I was researching, it's such a broad concept that if I were to read any more things, it would kind of betray my thoughts about it, which I would love to give while people are talking. I'm gonna, so let's go ahead yeah, and open up the line. Let's get these lines open. Um, I'm going to say something controversial after I tell you this phone number. You want to call live, 801-285-9395. It's on your screen right now. So if you're watching live, you're seeing it. If you're listening via audio some other way, that's the number, 801-285-9395. We will take your calls right now. I'm going to say a controversial thing before I take our first call. Go, go. It's like macro racism. And, hear, and, and hear me out here. So here's what it's like. We like Canada. Why? Because they kind of keep to themselves and do stuff and they're fine. Yeah. They're like our Asian neighbor. Now, just hear me out on this, everybody. Wow. He's, All right. Here he's we go. very, uh, very conscientious, keeps a clean yard, seems super friendly. He's not really doing anything to offend me. And I don't have a historical problem with Canada. You're my Asian neighbor. Okay. Uh, 
And we're pretty cool with most of the other ones if they play by our rules. Like, well, if you play by our rules, then you're cool. If not, well, then we're mad at you or we're angry or we're warring with you at the extreme or at the very least we're not, you know, we're, we're sanctioning you or we're not sending you our food so you can't uh, do as well. Or whatever the thing is, in our position of power, we are practicing, in my opinion, a form of macro racism. And it isn't about the color of somebody's skin. It's that you're not us and we know better. So that arrogance thing you're talking about, I think, is is there. And I would, I'd go back to the belief system that I talked about, about the early pioneers in the 1800s. Their belief system wasn't that we were better than anyone else. And there's historical record for this. Their belief system was, this is an opportunity and we are wasting it in the eyes of man and God if we don't take advantage of it. It was a humble approach to the idea that there was an exceptional opportunity not this new thing we do now, which is we're better, do what we say, or get out. Ooh, well, I'll tell you what. I know we have a call coming up, but uh, uh, I have the exact opposite point. Of oh, view. my gosh. All right, let's take this call, and then we'll come back around to it. Hi, good morning. Who's this? Hey, this is Jake from California. Hello, uh, Jake Anaheim. from California. How's it going? Oh, Anaheim. I love that town. Yeah, me too. Disneyland, <laughs> number one. <laughs> What's on your mind? So uh, I tweeted earlier, I, I served eight years in the military. Um, I, I understand the, the concept that, that Americans, we think we're number one. I myself believe that, that we are, there's a, a bunch of countries that we're, we're all good. And there's some countries that aren't as good as America because I've traveled all over the world and deployed and I've seen countries that aren't as good. I think that being in the military, I've learned a lot of, military history throughout my service and i i saw that that throughout world war one and two and, and prior wars that that we we were winners and so people that raised us told us that that hey we won we're number one and so those people raised us to say we're number one and that's just the mentality we have now is everyone thinks we're just number one and other countries i've been to they're annoyed that we think we're number one. Do you do you think that some of this comes from like from a military background? Maybe you can speak to this. Uh, World War II, um, the U.S. is uh, you know mathematically and historically important to that equation and to the war finishing. Although it came it came into the war late, um, it took us getting attacked to do anything. But nonetheless, you know, come to Europe, help liberate it. You'd uh, you'd see U.S. soldiers come into uh, French towns and cities. And they would be cheered and cheered and cheered, conquering heroes, basically. Uh, yeah. That, it feels like those are moments of, you know, that's genuine appreciation from a nation and from its individuals to another nation for, for doing something like that. Um, but then you can't expect that for the rest of time. Does that make sense? So from a, from a military yeah, perspective, do you know what I'm trying to say? That's not what we do. Okay. Like, we, like I, that's the, one of the reasons I joined the military was because I grew up with my grandpa telling me all what happened in World War II, and I grew up watching Banner Brothers and Saving Private Ryan, and I wanted to be part of that. And so I joined the military thinking it would be like the miraculous World War II days where we go into countries and save them. And then I learned very quickly into my service that it's not the same military that it used to be. People do not love the American military like they used to. There was no flags waving. I lived in Japan for the first four years. And right when I got there, immediately, I could tell that there was an attitude like, oh, this guy's an American. He thinks he's the best. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew people that I was based with that definitely thought that, that they, that they were American, that they, that they were better than people. And it was hard for people like me that were more level-headed to shake that quote-unquote prejudice towards America. So when you came in there and, and you were – did they just perceive that, oh – Here's another one. Another cocky guy thinks he's better than us. Like, did that feel? Did you get that feeling pretty much everywhere? Uh, yeah, pretty much everywhere. But go ahead, Justin. Uh, sorry, sorry. I don't want. I, I don't mean to interrupt you. But but this is about Japan specifically. When you were stationed in Japan. Yes, but I've also been Philippines, all of South Asia, sure. the Pacific. Um, right. And so all those countries, I kind of felt like. A little bit like, oh, he's American. He thinks he's, and but because some guys I was drinking next to were screaming America while they were chugging their beers. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Well, then let me let me ask you a question because you you mentioned uh, leading into this that you were like, all right. So I personally, 
if, if I were to l- l- list my hot 100 of countries that I would put America at number one on this list. Uh, and then you are also very conscious and, and describe yourself as level headed that you are, you don't want to be arrogant in, in a foreign land. Uh, where do you think that gets blended for others? The guy sitting next to you screaming, USA, 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 while he chugs his beer somewhere. Uh, I, I think that from my viewpoint of what I've experienced throughout the military, is I think it's where you're raised in America. I'm raised in Southern California. It's very diverse. Um, I'm, I'm a, a Caucasian, but I'm, my last name is Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very influenced on the, the different, the cultural melting pot that is the United States. Mm. But I have met people that were raised in different parts of the country that maybe they're just ingrained from their small youth that they're the they're american they're number one right well this is super interesting thanks for the call i have so i have this thought about that and then i want to hear your opposite of my other thing yeah um i mean it's this is i don't want to i don't want to say this is an easy formula because it probably certainly isn't but i just have this feeling that this this is kind of why we're in the political climate we're in right now because you've got a portion of the country who is pretty regularly embarrassed by what we see as as um others being really jingoistic about our country and we don't we would like to work with the rest of the world and not have them think that we're a bunch of cocky dicks waving flags and drinking beer um and then there's a bunch of the country who think that because we've worked so hard to to change that impression that we've backed down we've become soft that we're kind of wimps and it's time to to sadly say a phrase i've heard too much of make America great again. And the great again part to them is strong, tough, fearless. Um, you know, I guess that includes all the things like defender of the weak one, but, but right now it's just about getting back what's ours. Well, and, yeah. Or, or, or we can, we can say get America moving again, which was, uh, a JFK's slogan in 1960. Mm-hmm, like, like yeah. this has been a regular, a, a political theme that has been tried and tried again of, of, Hey, let's get, let's, let's remember, the past and and let that guide our future right i think that that's you're saying it better than i did and it's it's just you'll see you know political upheaval will latch onto that sometimes because it's an opportune moment you know and it's just but but you but you you believe that that it is because we have not humbled ourselves enough by understanding our history and and that we just kind of take the yada 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 but america's the best i just think it's blind i think it's blind for people to think that that we're uh, to, to put yourself in a position where you can't think globally. And I know that globalist is a swear word now, but okay. Okay. All right. So let me, let me, let me, let me hem in on this. Then the idea that American exceptionalism equals that you are excluding the interests of others yeah, of, of around the world, that that is something that is, uh, a, a, you know, a inherent to the idea right. and b damaging. Yeah. Is that true? Do like us or, or yeah, I think there's a, well, whatever. We love to be tourists and go to those places and see their weird ways. But when it comes to like our everyday lives, we think we, I, I think on the macro level, we think we, we know what's best. But, but then, but then on the other hand, we, we, we jump up and down about being a nation of immigrants and, and the melting pot and, and we are taking all these, you know, traditions and, and blending them into war. You know, that that is also kind of ingrained in the American. Yeah, but that's like people saying, right? "Oh, I love black people," and then they get in an elevator and stuck with one for six hours in a broken elevator. Then tell me, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like people say a lot of shit until they have to do, until they have to face the thing they say they they get all jingoistic about until it's actually in their backyard, and then they then then you get to see who they really are. I guess is what I'm saying. Sure, sure. Although I mean, even at that point, you know, look, <laughs> and and America is not a. A perfect country when it comes to race relations, and and please no. let me let me let me let, allow me to distance myself. I'm going to moonwalk my way away from Scott's <laughs> metaphor about the broken down elevator. Uh, but I will say that there is there have been many times where there has been racial panic in our country, and sometimes we get over it faster, like we have with the Irish and the Italians, and. Sometimes we get over it a lot slower, like we have with the black community in America. Yeah. Uh, but but there is so here's here's I guess my larger point. You have talked about American exceptionalism as a misguided worshiping of the things that we've done, right? Mm-hmm. That if you add up our past, 
people kind of just fudge the math until they get the number that they like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a reminder, do your taxes. Um, <laughs> Already done. The, I don't look at it like that. I look at American exce- uh, exceptionalism as not a receipt on what we've done, but rather the charge and promise of what we should be. Mm. And that that what we that, that it, it is it is not a a thing that is imbued in us naturally. It is the fact that the Constitution is a really remarkable document, and it's a really crazy thing that it survived this long and has not just been taken over by some you know military junta at some point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it has a, a tremendous track record of providing a lot of kind of core base. Uh, uh, abilities for us to do a lot of good and that is our charge american exceptionalism is our our forefathers looking down on us and saying are you really doing the right thing right now yeah and so it is not reflective necessarily on the fact that people do the bad that people do the wrong thing because they do do that all the time but rather it's that we should be doing better that we we've been gifted a, a tremendous opportunity that we are squandering if we don't take more advantage of it to echo your point earlier, but without the religious. I completely agree. Take out the religion uh, for this conversation, which is totally fine with me because that's a, that's a core belief I have with or without religion that the, that the opportunity is there. What are you going to do with it? I, I do think there is a form of that going on and it should exist anywhere where opportunity exists. The thing is we've squandered that a bit. So let's use a down-to-earth common uh, metaphor or a scenario that, that, that will kind of explain this. If I'm uh, making my way to the grocery store to get groceries and I see an old lady yeah. who is really struggling to get her cart going and stuff's falling off the side and she's having a hard time, mm-hmm. I think because I am able-bodied and have the opportunity, it is my moral job to stop and help that lady. Yeah. We as a country have sometimes been real good at that uh, because we've had the resources, we've had the wherewithal, we've had the willpower to do it, and we've been great with that sort of thing in some parts of our history. But I think that the reason we get international mistrust and other things is because we have squandered that a bit. And instead of helping the old lady, we sometimes just go inside and do our own thing and get get ours, make sure we get ours, and not worry about the old lady who might could use our help. So, so my my use in that metaphor feels very real to me as far as yeah. what an exceptional opportunity actually means. Not that we are above anybody else. Not that we can do anything better than anybody else. It is because we take advantage of those those moral purchases that we can then do something cool that might be better than somebody else. But it's so easy to lose the humility and it's so easy to do that on a macro level where there's just so many people involved that you end up just being a big, a bigger problem than you thought you were going to be. Cause there's plenty of individuals who are stopping and helping the old lady, but are we as a nation stopping and helping the, the figurative old lady right now? I don't, I don't know. Who's the figurative old lady. I don't know. That's the problem with my, my thing is I don't have a good answer for who the old lady is right now. I think who it is. The problem is we have some old ladies in our own borders that we need to help right now. And some sure. of those include reignited race relations, issues with uh, uh, police and what that means for common citizenry, uh, poverty in our, in, in, in our own borders, like all those kinds of things. Again, none of this is super uncom- – it's all complex. That's the problem. Yeah. But, but there, you know, there are other opportunities on a more global scale where we can swoop in and, and help the old lady. Hi, good morning. Who's this? Or afternoon. It's not morning. Hi. Hi, it's Stephanie Ray from Canada, not California. Oh, sweet. You're like our Asian neighbor. Got it. Up there in Canada. Yes, yes. I'm I'm a very cute, you know, very white Asian neighbor. <laughs> well, well done. Uh, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Well, listening to all of this, it's not something, even being Canadian, that I don't really get. We live just above you guys, so we get a lot of American influence. Saturday mornings, I used to get pissed off because I wanted the toy from McDonald's. Then I realized I was watching the American station. Very annoying. Mm. However, Mm. I find a lot of the stuff that does come up from America that's in our culture as Canada is very media-oriented, like the Saturday morning cartoons. I hated 
being in the States during the Atlanta Olympics because I could only watch um, your take on it. And it was, oh, okay, so this person won gold over there, yippee-dippy for them, but look at our guy in 78th place that's all about America. And it's like, shouldn't you be focusing on the person who won gold? <laughs> yeah. Is that not the point of this? Well, I mean, they, really they, know, they know who they're writing that story for, right, Justin? Like, well, they, but, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. So, so but, but Stephanie... Your charge yeah. is then that the CBC doesn't focus on the Canadian <laughs> athletes? Well, we, we don't always. We usually talk about whoever won gold, focus on them, gold, silver, bronze, and all of their amazing accomplishments. And then in the breaks or the outros or whatever, we talk about the Canadians and their gold. Now, it's changed a gotcha. lot since social media and various things came up. I'm speaking more in, you know, being in my formative years in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Showing yeah. what America influenced me as well. Plus, as it's Canadian. yeah. Plus, it's easier. You're going to see it in the way that somebody who just bought a new van is suddenly seeing their everyone else seems to own their van. You know, like you're you're coming down from a country where you were seeing a different kind of coverage. You see it here, and then you're like, oh my gosh, you guys are sure focusing on the guy who didn't win anything just because well, he's from and, hometown, and, whatever. You know, and and that's the thing is that uh, you know our Olympic coverage has been very. Uh, narrative driven for for many many years it's not in in a lot of ways covered as a sporting event in the way that i think uh maybe it is in in other places it's covered as a human interest story and so you are nbc specifically has throughout my entire life tried to microwave these storylines and it's like all right uh the olympics are coming up so for two months before now all of a sudden on the on, on the today show we're gonna hear about the guy who like lost his hamster when he was a kid and it made him really want to turn into a cross the country runner and so now he's running for skippy his dead hamster and then you know fade in on uh save or uh, skippy r.i.p tattoo on his uh, rib cage as we now see him in 50th place right well, uh, and, and i think i think some of it still exists today though i mean look at the solar eclipse last year Right. With, um, you know, it was a somewhat global event, but nothing really was quite as big. But I think that's because it was going all the way across the states. If it wasn't going across the states, would we really have been so boo-rah-rah about it? Well, maybe. But also, like, if it's just going, I actually agree with you there. But I wonder if it was just going to be seen in Sweden. I'm guessing they'd have been pretty boo-rah-rah about it, you know. But, you know, that influence is what I'm saying. It came over to Canada. You saw it all over the social media. Oh, you I did see. all of that. Yeah. So even people that are global are getting it because it was going across America. If it was going across Sweden, would that have filtered back to America? Well, see, now that... Yeah, go ahead, Justin. Oh, but that's that's an issue of just uh, America being an 800-pound media gorilla, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. we produce a lot of media. We, we, we produce a lot of exportable media. Uh, a lot of stars are Americans, although most of our stars in comedy are Canadians that we steal and then repurpose for our own nefarious ends. Uh, but this is something that, how much can you help it if you're America and the rest of the world likes to watch your stuff or, or we're making the cheapest, most available stuff possible? Yeah. Like, is, Possibly, that, is that necessarily yeah. the worst? I mean, that that's just what it is. What I, what I was going to say is I feel like this is just a byproduct of that because how it, it, if we, you know, if you're in Australia and you're like, dude, I cannot wait to see Friends and then The Simpsons and then the and you're just, it's all American media you're consuming. And I can't tell you how many of those actors down there who are all amazing. Every I swear every Australian actor is incredible. And they all say, oh, well, I learned how to have a really good American accent because I watched a ton of American TV growing up. That's all we had here. Okay. So like this idea, so someone- that, this idea that they're inundated with our content all the time and that it's good content, they want to be uh, you know, consuming it, means that we have a greater responsibility, I think, as a nation, to not be dicks otherwise. In other words, well- we, influ- we have an influence. It's like me trying to pretend that I don't have sway with my son. Sure. Of course I do, because I'm his dad. And in a lot of ways, we're in a dad position on the media front. And don't take that chat room or anyone else any more than I mean it. I just mean that we're kind of the loud guy in the room. People have, for a long time, liked to hear what's coming out of that loud guy. And it does paint other things. People will start dressing, sounding, singing, looking, acting the way that they are exposed to. That's there's a responsibility there that I'm not even sure what it means for us, but it's there. I mean, but but Scott, if if that's the case, and I love that two Americans repeatedly are cutting off our Canadian (laughs) calling guests, but uh, I 
if you Sorry, I uh, try to get in. I know, I know, I know. This is just a, a, a tremendous microcosm for everything that we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but but once you get into paternalism, yeah. now you're talking about okay, so where does that extend? If we're responsible, then are we responsible when uh, a nation says, "Oh, well, we're being overrun by the nation next to us. Who will do right by us?" Right? Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, does the American military have a, a a moral compunction to go solve that problem? All right, mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie, you have you have you have the last word. Yes. Okay. So the, just just the last thing on that. So yes, the influence and it it makes and everybody is excited and. The other side of it, as being a Canadian, our accents are very similar. It's not like yeah. from Australia or England. So when you're overseas, you're going, oh, it's fairly obvious where you're from. Right. When you're a Canadian, you slather yourself with Canadian flags and people go, oh, you're Canadian. Oh, that's awesome. Or even if you don't, they talk to you and you go, oh, no, I'm from Canada. And people go, oh, well, you're amazing and I'm totally going to help you. Yeah. We even read guidebooks that used to say, uh, if you're from the States, just cover yourself with Canadian flags and people won't treat you like garbage overseas. <laughs> really? So Weird. I feel like in a lot of ways Americans try to hide, going back to the original point, it's either, yeah, America, and then, you know, they're in their own little blinders on situation. But regular, normal, happy, healthy useful americans go oh god overseas they hate us all let's hide well there is a little of that right now but it's mostly kind of right now like what? No, I, I mean no, i know i know there i know that we've thanks for your call but i know we've had like this dustin like a huge history of that it's and it goes up and down and i get it but don't you feel right now more than ever well the numbers show it like people coming here to visit us is at a low it hasn't been for a very long time tourist uh, tourist stuff happening in the U.S. from other countries is at an all-time dip. Well, why? There's reasons. I I I, I am not familiar with those numbers, uh, so I can't really speak to them. But <laughs> I I do know that look, our our American reputation oftentimes is affected a lot more than things that we think. Right? <clears throat> like we know that you know Donald Trump is a uh, uh, unpopular by the numbers president right now. Uh, and so we believe in our context and our narrative. Oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed for my president. I'll bet you everybody in the rest of the world is really, really upset about it. And they view him as this uh, dangerous lunatic for which we have uh, loosed upon not only ourselves, but also the world because of our position of leadership amongst uh, you know the global community. So I think that there is something there. But oftentimes, a lot of what uh, uh, turns the you know, moves the needle on one side or another is stuff that the rest of the world cares about that are just kind of in, in the, it was a metaphor that I, I, I first heard about Canada, about Canada dealing with the United States, that it's look, America's the elephant in the bed. And either you're going to, uh, you know, pretend that the elephant in the bed isn't there, or you're going to understand that this is, that this is just a large thing that you have to deal with. And sometimes it moves in various different ways and it doesn't know exactly how it affects everybody else. Yeah, but and don't worry. It's just his trunk. That thing that's moving around down there, it's just his trunk. Uh, just, yeah. You know, <laughs> offer it a peanut. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, that's what I think. I mean, I remember the, the times that I've traveled abroad uh, in general. I mean, you know, being an American wasn't necessarily the biggest, you know, determinant of whether or not people liked you or didn't like you. In some places, they liked you a lot more. You know, I, I was in... Uh, Bulgaria uh, uh, as the Iraq war was going on. Mm -hmm. And that was at a time of tremendous unpopularity for America in countries like uh, France and, and Western Europe, apparently. But in Eastern Europe, they loved Americans because mm -hmm. at that time, Donald Rumsfeld had talked about, oh, there's old Europe and there's new Europe. And yeah. we we're going to not so much care about the old heads of Europe. And we we're going to uh, pay more attention to the new emerging countries to the East, one of which was uh, of Poland and Bulgaria. Yeah. And there, oh man, I could not be more popular. And specifically when the exchange rate was really great, I could buy like an entire round of beer for $5. Oh yeah, so, people love that. Uh, sure. That was, but, but again, this is something that I think affects, a lot of things affects our, our view around the world. And it's not necessarily just our arrogance. Although look, if you roll into a bar and you start screaming and yelling about how America is the best, they'll eventually start yelling at you. And yeah. that's something that I've also done. And I, <laughs> have you you've gone into a bar and started yelling about how great america is you've done that i uh listen man i there's 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 a fun remind me to tell you about the american or the the international asshole story there okay was, all right there was, there was there was one night where uh, i almost got 
stuck on a tube train in London uh, because I decided to jump back in and yell at British people more. Oh my um, gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, but, but don't you know? This isn't us being blind to the fact that a lot of these issues exist in other countries. Like, it's almost. A, I, I just had a nephew and a niece in law. I guess is what she'd be. Um, had a baby, cute little little dude, and uh, happened to have him while in Japan. Now she's Japanese. He's American, half Korean, but he was yeah. born here. My sister's Korean. Her husband's white. He is this unnaturally handsome version of a white and Korean pairing. It drives me crazy. He's and he can yeah. he can tan like nobody's business. Anyway, that's not part of the story. He marries this girl from Japan. They have a baby. They have it in Japan. And my first question was, oh, I'll bet this gives this kid dual citizenship because father's from here, mother's from there. Yeah. She's in. She's normally in the U.S. On a, on a marriage visa or however that stuff works when you're first married. Yeah. And come to find out, it will be true for a little while, but eventually the Japanese are like, no, we don't, we don't want you. Like, we don't want new, we don't want newcomers over here. We're not into that. Like, they're, yeah. I wouldn't call it racist. They're just... They've had some racist past. They've had some interesting things with Koreans specifically. Yeah, think? yeah, it's been pretty crazy. But there's, you know, even today, there's there's kind of that. Not only that, my brother, Matt, who's a Korean, 100% Korean, came to the States when he was nine. We adopted him. He became an American citizen. So he immigrated here, became a citizen, and then went back to Korea when he was 20. And while there, a Korean man started to talk to him, and Matt kind of got the language still from when he was young, but had forgotten most of it. So he was fumbling around, sounding very American, trying to talk to this guy in native Korean guy was so angry that he, that he beat my brother up. Just like beat the crap out of him. Really? And said that the reason he did it was because, and he was yelling this while he was doing it, I guess. And I'm, I'm trying to remember the story best I can. It was a long time ago, but it was basically that how can you, how can you abandon your heritage and then come back here and even set foot here and talk to us? Like there was this weird, that dynamic going on. So my point is, I know this stuff exists in other ways, in other forms, in other countries that the problems we're talking about here aren't unique in, 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 in every way. What's unique here is that we've got a great big economy that pumps out a lot of money pulls in a lot of money and money and economics matter in this case. And because of that, uh, as dirty as that all sounds, it means you have a powerful position. And I'm just saying, and this is what I've, well, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. I just believe that means we have a lot of responsibility with great power comes great responsibility to, to talk like uncle Ben might. I think we should always endeavor to do the best we can with that power. That's all. And, I mean, and sometimes that's that's a complicated thing. Right? It is. Like, it like, is. That, that is that is so much. I mean, like, so then uh, to, to get back to the military thing, where does that, you know, uh, uh, obviously we have over inserted ourselves in many regions all throughout the globe. Uh, uh, we have uh, very much earned our nickname as the, the world's police. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yet when genocide is happening in Rwanda and. President Bill Clinton is taking a, a very specific non-interventionalist approach, hoping that uh, uh, the regional neighbors will take care of it, or it's happening in Croatia or Serbia, and we are hoping that the European community is going to take the lead on it, and they don't. Where is our moral responsibility at, at that point when we are specifically being called out as not intervening? Right, and then we do things that, uh, we think or that look like they're clearly in our interest to keep the oil world stable or whatever you might levy at things like the Gulf Wars, uh, specifically more the Bush Jr. efforts. Um, well, that's that's a whole nother thing. That, I mean, that was the, 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 the neoconservative perspective on foreign policy was that we are now getting attacked by a very, very, very destabilized region. So it is in the interest of the world's community to stabilize that region as as best we can by removing uh, these governments, and right. that can be as controversial or non controversial as you would like. You well, know? and, and of yeah. course there is the the oil uh, element to that as well. Well, their view, but, but the, so you, so what you say is important that neoconservatives or any, whoever at the time is super stoked about doing that over there. They, I believe, they think it was with real immoral authority that they did that or do that. Um, 
And by the same token, I think somebody out burning flags and growing their hair and being hippies and, and going on hunger strikes also believe that they've got the moral, the moral high ground on what they're doing. So it, as, as easy as it is for me to say, we have the great power, therefore the great responsibility, and I still believe that that's true. None of it's easy. None of it's defined perfectly. None of it is, has, is free of dissent. It's all complicated. And everyone wants their their peace, and everyone thinks that they're in the moral high ground. Mm-hmm. And it is never about us finding the utopia. It's this. It's the process, man. It's just we got a pretty good process for having the battle. The war is not an end game. The battle is like just keeping having it, having it, having it, having it. Fighting Trump if you hate him, pushing for him if you love him. When he gets out of there, you push hard for the next guy or the next lady or the next thing or the whatever, and those who hate it will push hard against it. That process somehow, we hope, is the right process to also, in theory, make us better better actors on the world stage. And I, and I don't know else how else to put it except there are parts of it that seem super simple to me, like there should be a moral guiding compass for all of us. And then there are times where I'm like, oh my gosh, which rebel group are you going to support? One day they're rebels that are a great cause, and the next week you find out they raped a town and burnt it. Like, it's almost impossible to do what I'm kind of suggesting, but that's maybe a problem with the whole exceptional thing, this exceptionalism thing in the first place, is that it's just this nebulous, simplif- oversimplified idea. Well, but look, 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 look at how far we are from the initial idea. Right. Yeah. The initial concept is that America is a special country and therefore Americans are special people for having grown up in it and around it. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're at should we be intervening in a foreign conflict? Mm-hmm. And and we get there so simply because there are not. Well, OK, you guys do this and you guys do that. And this is how you, this class thinks and this is how that class thinks. And this is how we, we we move about with the order. And that's what I think when you get to the classical ideas and the definitions of this, of creating a new nation, that is the cruft that, you know, was kind of sparked by those Enlightenment thinkers mm-hmm. uh, uh, of, no, this is, uh, it is man's right to do whatever man wants to do, regardless of a government or a, an, an oppressive system telling them what it is. And that it is then our job as americans to have that for as many americans as possible a job that we very much have a spotty track record doing so you know look i i think that this is a a, a really fascinating issue and it's, it's i'll tell you what i think it's really curious that we we didn't get as many calls on this uh, uh this week but i think we're gonna get a crap ton of emails because it, yeah. it, it's not something that is super hot takey uh, i think a lot of people are going to think and and send us really really rad stuff at unfriendmeshow at gmail.com. Again, unfriendmeshow mm-hmm. at gmail.com. That's right. And don't forget, if you like the show and you like what we're producing and like what we're talking about, even if you don't agree with some of it, uh, I feel like a show like this needs to exist. If I wasn't making it with Justin, it would be one I would want to find and seek out. Turns out there's not a lot like this. So um, we're really happy to be doing something that feels very unique in podcasting. And if you guys support it and like it, well, then all the better. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash unfriendme. Uh, like Justin alluded to earlier, we have some cool plans for more content coming out of there. Um, but we want to get, you know, some of the basics covered and that'll be with your help. So head on over to patreon.com slash unfriendme and you can find that and all other links that matter uh, for getting the podcast, for getting the video archive or however you want to consume this show over at frogpants.com slash unfriendme. All right, Scott. Uh, I want to give you a little, little, little option. Here. All right. What do you got? What would you like to do next week? I feel like now that we've got all the way up to American exceptionalism, yeah. we can kind of be due for something a little lighter. Oh, abortion then abortion. You and abortion. Oh my God. You just want, <laughs> it's like your number. It's like hitting uh, somebody's knee with a little rubber mallet. Like there's one reaction every time, not abortion. Although I'll tell you what here. Oh, you're gonna give me a, you're gonna do. give me a, a taste of when? Okay, all right. I will say, if we do some Patreon exclusive content, so yeah. we can get stuff up for those who are who are supporting us at the at the higher levels. Yeah. The week after we do those recordings, <laughs> we will do a portion. <laughs> <laughs>
we will, we will have the abortion episode. Sweet. All right. I'm in. Until then. Until then. Let me give you some lighter ones. Spoilers. CrossFit. Okay. Or legalizing prostitution. And I get to choose? Yeah. What do you think? Prostitution, uh, CrossFit, or spoilers? Uh, I don't know why I want this one, but prostitution. Oh, we're hooking next week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're talking prostitution on the show. Yeah. So go ahead and uh, get your emails uh, and thoughts in on that. And we look forward to seeing you right here on twitch.tv slash frog pants. Uh, that goes live at 2 p.m. Eastern time, noon mountain time. And of course, one Pacific. Yeah. Or no, 12 Pacific, one mountain. That's what you mean. Well, Pacific, Close one mountain time. I'm great at times. <laughs> And it's uh, and happy uh, spring forward, everybody, with your stupid daylight savings time. I hope all your daylight got saved. I know none of mine did. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thank you all for being here. Uh, find us on Twitter, Justin R. Young, Scott Johnson, and uh, let us know your thoughts on today's episode and more. That's going to do it for us, for me, for Justin, and for all of you. We'll see you next time. See you, unfriends. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Frog Pants Network. Get more shows like this at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>